Sports Scripts with Decrom is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course, football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Top Choice Athletics and follow them on Twitter at RealTCAthletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from TopChoiceAthletics.com. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo. As unpredictable as the NFL was in the first two weeks of its 2018 season, week three emphatically yelled, hold my beer. In week three, we witnessed the third largest upset in NFL history as Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills went into Minnesota as 16 and a half point underdogs and absolutely humiliated the Vikings. Yes, the same Vikings team I predicted to win Super Bowl 53. Also, Baker Mayfield was forced into action and led the Browns to their first victory since December 2016 in remarkable come-from-behind fashion. And after three weeks, who would have thought that the only three 3-0 teams would be the Los Angeles Rams, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, you heard that right. The Miami Dolphins. You truly cannot predict the NFL, and that's what makes it the greatest thing in all sports. And this ride is only about to get bumpier and more unpredictable in Week 4. And what better person is there to preview Week 4 with me than my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. What's up, pal? Hey, David, doing great here and uh, excited for a great Thursday night game to hopefully top the excitement of last week to kick this week off in style. Oh, absolutely. And we will get to that Thursday night game in just a bit. But let's talk about some takeaways from week four. And here were two for me. I challenged the Jacksonville Jaguars on our last program to beware the trap in the Tennessee Titans. They didn't listen, apparently. They absolutely laid an egg against the Tennessee Titans and Marcus Mariota, who could barely throw a football right now. Talk about making an absolute statement against the New England Patriots and then coming back and laying an egg against a division rival that beat you twice last year. That is inexcusable, Jacksonville Jaguars. If you want to win the Super Bowl, this must stop. You have to stop playing down your competition. And also, uh, when it comes to the Denver Broncos... The days of the no-fly zone are over. Chris Harris uh, uh, is apparently lost a step, and Bradley Roby just uh, hasn't taken that step to be the top 10 corner that the team hoped he could become. And and with how bad their linebackers are in coverage, this is a pass defense that you could eat up. It's no longer the no-fly zone. It's the flyer-friendly sky zone. So uh, the days of that dominant Denver Broncos secondary are over. It was a great run, no-fly zone, but all great things must come to an end. It is over right now in Denver. Uh, one of the best secondaries to ever play. Uh, Chris Harris, Akeem Tlaib, Bradley Roby, TJ Ward, and Darian Stewart. Uh, those days are going to be missed, but they are gone, and it's time to start all over in the secondary for the Broncos. What about you, Hal? Oh, that's sad, David. I'm thinking about the Legion of Boom when you talk about the no-fly zone, two of the greatest secondaries in NFL history and crumbling before our eyes. I think the Legion of Boom is officially uh, closed for business, and now the Broncos stumbling and bumbling in that secondary. Um, I'm in mourning this week. Jimmy Garoppolo down, out for the season. 
my quarterback, Jimmy G. Oh my God. It's, it's time for San Francisco to start planning their top five draft pick and speak it. And speaking of top five draft picks, how about Baker Mayfield out dueling Sam Darnold in the battle of, uh, rookie quarterbacks who are top five picks cleveland has hope at last and quarterbacks patrick mahomes he looks better and better every week i was just re-watching the kansas city san francisco game again glutton for punishment that i am to see jimmy g go down but he's getting mahomes is was better in week two than he was in week one and he's better making decisions with his accuracy he's growing as a quarterback still and this was his down week with only three touchdown passes and he can only get better which is the scariest part so pat mahomes he's just getting started folks you better watch out and i definitely look forward to watching pat mahomes and that super mouth-watering promising potential hall of fame talent on monday night uh, this week and before we get into uh, the thursday night game that you mentioned let's uh, debate these four questions of the week starting with the bucks you got Jameis winston coming off suspension and the bad ryan fitzpatrick showed up in the first half and the second half version of ryan fitzpatrick in that game against the steelers was not enough to overcome the bad version that showed up in the first half so should ryan fitzpatrick struggle badly again against the bears on sunday should the bucks put Jameis winston in the game should they or will they? They will, I'm sure. If, they, if there's a couple of interceptions in the first half, the leash is very short. And that's the, the Ryan Fitzpatrick story in his entire career. He almost kept it together for the Jets, what was that, 2014, uh, where they just missed the playoffs and you know got all the way up until the last game of the season before he turned back into the Ryan Fitzpatrick we all know and love. Uh, with costly interceptions and bad decision-making. So the leash has to be short. Not many teams have the luxury of bringing a Jameis Winston talent off the bench. And if if the Bucks are struggling, they can't afford to fall behind because they're right in the thick of that NFC South race right now, surprisingly as it is. And New Orleans is going to be working on getting that defense turned around. And Carolina is going to be right in the thick of it with their strong defense. So for Tampa Bay, definitely if Ryan Fitzpatrick is struggling, get him out, get Jameis in, see if he can spark that offense. And speaking of the Carolina Panthers, they've been one of the more impressive teams so far this season. And a lot of it is due to how Norv Turner is coordinating that offense. Norv Turner uh, came into Carolina and a lot of people were worried by saying that he was going to treat Cam Newton like a square peg in a round hole, that he was going to plug him into his system that was going to require him to take countless uh, seven-step drops behind one of the leakiest offensive lines in the league and just throw deep all day. Well, that isn't true at all. Norv Turner has catered his offense magnificently and masterfully to Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey. You're seeing uh, plays uh, from the Stanford playbook that Christian McCaffrey absolutely thrived in. And he is uh, still uh, letting Cam Newton be himself by like running the football, doing a lot of zone read stuff. And that touchdown pass to C.J. Anderson where he had both McCaffrey and C.J. Anderson in the backfield and he like fooled the defense by uh, putting Christian McCaffrey in motion. That was one of the most magnificent play designs I saw this week. And uh, Cam Newton is uh, playing some of his best football we've seen at, 
it definitely is best football since his MVP season in 2015. So right now, would you say Norv Turner is your early front runner for assistant coach of the year? Oh yeah, I mean it's so. I mean North Turner's been around so long and has been just getting the most out of his offenses. Just about everywhere he goes on his tour around the NFL over these last thirty, forty years. Um, I mean the fact that they've got Christian McCaffrey running the ball. He's averaging almost six yards a carry, ninety yards a game. You know. And you look at this offense and you say, DJ Moore really hasn't done anything from their, you know, uh, impressive looking rookie from the preseason. Greg Olson's injured. They're the, the basis of their offense running through that tight end. And yet still this North Turner has got, like you said, getting Cam Newton, you know, not being stationary in the pocket, not trying to force him out of his game, letting him get outside of the pocket and make plays, letting him run the football and add that threat, force those linebackers to play up closer to the line of scrimmage, and then taking the top off with Jarius Wright and Torrey Smith. Uh, it's, it's a whole different offense there in Carolina, and it looks like what the offense should have been these last couple of years with a talent like Cam Newton who can do so many different things. And they will be a fun offense to watch going forward for the rest of this season. And moving on to the desert in Arizona, is there a team more incompetent than the Arizona Cardinals right now, especially from coaching staff to players? Like, they are underutilizing David Johnson criminally. Like, the way they used him early in the game on that touchdown where they split him out wide against Danny Trevathan, that's how to use him. You have to constantly put him in position to make big plays but you also have to go to him when you need him most like in their second to last drive on that third and two they do a toss to chase Edmonds for crying out loud you gotta be kidding me why not give it to your best playmaker David Johnson how crazy is that it's crazy when you're oh oh my god it's so crazy but was but what's even crazier to me was why didn't they put Josh Rosen in the game earlier? They should have put him in after Sam Bradford fumbled the ball and made like his third turnover in like three possessions. That's inexcusable. Keep, they shouldn't have kept Bradford on the field. They shouldn't have waited until the second to last drive of the game to put Rosen on the field. They should have put him in a drive or two earlier to let him get acclimated. And if they had done that, they could have won the game because Rosen would have gotten settled in earlier. Uh, so if this ineptness continues, should Steve Wilkes be a one-and-done head coach in Arizona? It's it's really hard to get a coach to say one-and-done is the way that it should be. I'm, I'm looking at offensive coordinator Mike McCoy, 20 points in three games. Mike McCoy is supposed to be better than this. I don't know what his game plan is out here. You saw him for four years in Denver. He was four years in, as, as head coach in, in San Diego. He had competent offenses. I don't know what happened last year in Denver. If that switch got turned off, I don't know why Steve Wilkes put his faith in McCoy after he seemingly forgot how to coach offenses last year, but something is screwy with that offensive game plan. Like you said, um, ju just for leaving Bradford in, we saw the bills go with Allen. We saw Cleveland go with Mayfield. We saw the jets put, go with Darnold from day one. And these young quarterbacks coming in have shown they're ready to play and to 
wait so long in that game to put in Josh Rosen was just ridiculous. I, I, I was screaming at the television. Um, they have Larry Fitzgerald. They have Christian Kirk, an impressive-looking young wide receiver. Ricky Seals-Jones, a competent tight end. David Johnson, as you said, 3.4 yards per rush. You know, three receptions a game, you've got to get the ball in his hands. It doesn't matter if the defense knows the ball's going to him. He's good enough to make plays. So I'm pointing the finger at Mike McCoy, Steve Wilkes, get rid of him now. Whatever's happened to him, he seems to have forgotten how to coach. Make that move for the offensive coordinator position and save yourself because you might get a second year, but Mike McCoy definitely shouldn't. Oh, most definitely, Hal. That is a very, very good point. Uh, Mike McCoy's offense has become very stale and predictable in recent years, and Vance Joseph fired him uh, halfway through the season last year for good reason, and Steve Wilkes, if you want to keep your job another year, you would be wiser to let him go even sooner should this continue. And moving on to hands down the best team in the NFC West with uh, the Garoppolo injury, now the Rams should easily run away with this division. Uh, but when it comes to the Rams, you got to talk about the growth of Jared Goff. Jared Goff, as much of a leap as he took last year, it looks like he's taking an even bigger quantum leap this year. Just Did you see him on Sunday, man? He was comp- completing some super, super advanced throws, man. It was amazing. And he's currently fifth in the NFL three weeks in in total passing yards. And can we now say the centerpiece of the Rams offense is actually Jared Goff as opposed to Todd Gurley? Oh, definitely. I I am with you on that one. Gurley, he does so much for that offense, but the growth of Goff, the talk of Goff as the system quarterback last year that was all throughout the preseason by the talking heads seems ridiculous. The question isn't how he's completing 70% of his passes. It's how he's 30% of his passes are incomplete because he has been, like you said, making every throw, every arm angle, every route that's run out there. He is getting the ball there. They've got a solid offensive line in front of him. He's got so many different playmakers. I think the only thing that can slow him down is indecision when he's trying to decide, do I want to throw it to Cooks? Cup, Woods, or Gurley? Indeed, man. It's been impressive. And Jared Goff will be in action this evening, which is arguably the top game of the week as the Rams host the Minnesota Vikings, who you could guarantee that they are going to come in motivated and hungry after getting embarrassed by the Buffalo Bills. And both of these teams head into this game banged up tonight, Hal. And which of these absences do you think is more detrimental? The Vikings being without Everson Griffin, and by the way, all our best wishes to Everson Griffin and his family as Everson Griffin is currently uh, undergoing mental health evaluations. Uh, He's currently fighting with some demons. Our prayers are with Everson Griffin and his family right now. We hope you get better as soon as possible, Everson. Uh, You are a joy to watch, and we hope to watch you play again sometime again this season. But when you look at the Rams, they're likely without both their all pro corners in Aqib Talib, who is going to be on the shelf for at least eight weeks after undergoing ankle surgery on Wednesday, and Marcus Peters, who is unlikely to play uh, tonight with a calf strain. Which of those absences do you think hurts more? Well, on the field, I think for the Rams, it, it 
opens up the the game for Minnesota and it takes away the fear that Kirk Cousins would have when you're you're staring down Marcus Peters, who's one of the best ball hawks in the NFL, and Aqib Talib, who you know is going to have his hands all over your receivers and not allow any separation. That puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. On the other side for Minnesota, the Everson Griffin situation is just heartbreaking to see him dealing with these personal matters. And and this is really a chance for the NFL to, to step up and get to the forefront and say, hey, just because somebody's a superstar, just because they're a millionaire, it doesn't mean that there's you know problems with, with mental illness, there's problems with personal lives, and get to the forefront of this and, and help remove some of that stigma. And instead, the NFL's been very quiet on this. And the Everson Griffin, that can affect the off-field for that team as well. They've got a lot more press in their face. They've got more distraction. So I think on the field, the Rams, those cornerbacks being lost are going to hurt them. But can Minnesota shake off that off-field distraction of Everson Griffin? And because I think they can still get a pass rush going even without him. They've played without him in the past. But having you know one of your brothers on your team, that's in the trenches with you, suffering like he is right now. Um, this is this is something where the team is either going to band together or fall apart, and it definitely hurt them last week not having him there emotionally in that home game against the Bills. So it's a toss-up on this one. I'm going to say off the field, the Griffin is the bigger loss. On the field for the Rams, stopping the pass is going to be tough, and that's going to make a wide open game, I think, uh, on Thursday night. Oh, definitely. I'm definitely anticipating this to be a high scoring game. And there are three um, matchups that I think are going to be the most decisive in what I expect to be a close game. And the weak link of the Rams defense is their linebackers, in particular their edge rushers. But for the Vikings, that offensive line, especially those offensive tackles, they've been atrocious. Like Riley Reef, according to a Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus, he gave up like 20 quarterback pressures last week. 20! And on average in a certain game, a tackle will give up like 10. That is just unheard of. So which of those groups has the edge? The weak league of the Rams defense and their edge rushers, Samson Ebicam and Matt Longacre, or those Vikings offensive tackles? Oh, the weak link is definitely going to be uh, the the Minnesota tackles. I mean, the Rams have different options to generate pressure on the edge. You know as well as I do that Wade Phillips is not averse to moving players around. If he has to get his pass rushers out to the edge, um, move Aaron Donald from the inside to the outside, even on third downs, I can see that happening um, to get some extra pressure on those weak tackles. So I think the 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 lack of the pass rushers can be mitigated by the scheme in Los Angeles. But for Minnesota, there's just no way to cover that up when when your tackles are that uh, having that many problems blocking. Oh, very good point. Plus, Aaron Donald is more than athletic enough to line up on the edge and uh, play. Dare I say, in a two-point stance and go against one of those tackles he definitely has the twitchiness to do so for sure and you know 
like I said, with Wade Phillips running that defense as well, you know he's got the ability, even on a short week, to scheme up something to take advantage of the weakness anywhere that he sees it. He's just too smart and too experienced. Oh, absolutely. And you also have two epic mismatches that could be decisive and both concern the Vikings offense against the Rams defense. On one hand, you got Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, arguably one of the top uh, three wide receiver duos in the NFL going against that depleted Rams cornerback core. Or the Vikings interior offensive line. Yes, they get Pat Elfline back, but you got to block Aaron Donald and Dominick Sue. Which of those two is the bigger mismatch? Well, I'm going to say the Rams secondary. Minnesota, you know, you know what you're getting. You can roll Kirk Cousins out. You can roll the pressure that way. You can scheme around a weakness in the interior of your defensive line, even if you're going against a pair of great defensive tackles like they have with the Rams. But as far as, um, you know, trying to cover that duo of wide receivers, that is going to be a tough, tough tough matchup for the Rams without Marcus Peters with Aqib Tlaib and now you're looking at you know Sam Shields we've barely seen him the last two years due to concussions you know how is he going to handle playing outside on the corner on an island by himself do they move Nickel Roby Coleman outside from his slot position now you've got one of the better slot cornerbacks playing out of position is Troy Hill going to make an impact Dominique Hatfield I just don't see it I think that mismatch the Vikings are going to be in a better position to take advantage of oh absolutely and given how slick Diggs and Thielen are as route runners Stephon Diggs heck he might be the best route runner in the game currently um, they are going to get open in a flash, and that could mitigate uh, Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue getting that uh, pass rush at Kirk Cousins' face on time. For sure. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of points scored on Thursday night. That is going to be a fun game to watch. It is. It's going to be a shootout indeed, as I alluded to earlier. And who do you think comes out on top in this high-scoring game? You know, I think it's going to be the Vikings. I think, you know, just the loss of those cornerbacks – um, you know, the Rams don't have a full week to put their full offensive package in. The more time that they have to, to scheme up plays for Goff and company, the better they seem to do. So I think it's going to be a shootout, but I've got Minnesota outlasting the Rams 37 to 34 in a game that's keeping America up late on Thursday night. I think this is a game that'll keep all of us up late on Thursday night. It's going to be very fun. As much as I want to pick the Vikings, I just think Wade Phillips is going to have an extra few tricks up his sleeve. He will be able to get his defense to make enough plays against Kirk Cousins, especially when it comes to the pass rush. And I think that will be just enough to make a difference in a 34-31 to game in favor of the Rams. But like I said, expect the Vikings to come in hungry and motivated. And don't be shocked at if either team wins this game. Because both of these teams are that good, and the Vikings uh, weren't. The Vikings are not that team we saw last week against Buffalo. Believe that. And your New England Patriots, they are one and two to start the year, Hal, and they play host to the three and zero Miami Dolphins at home at Gillette Stadium on Sunday afternoon. And when you look at the Dolphins, this isn't a team that wows you statistically, but they got some playmakers, especially on on this defense. You got uh, Robert Quinn playing very well, but when you look at that secondary, Xavier Howard continues to impress. Evan Silva of Roto World tweeted out that 
he has to be in the discussion as a top five corner in this league right now. How legit do you think the Dolphins' defense is, specifically Xavier Howard? Well, Xavier Howard, you know, anybody from New England saw his coming out game last year on Monday. Uh, but yeah, it was a Monday night game. And where, where the, the Dolphins just completely shut down that New England offense. And Howard was a key part of that with his smothering defense there in that game. Um, I mean, he was just you know, blanketing receivers. And since then, he hasn't let up. I mean, he's just week in, week out, added that boost of confidence at whatever turned on that switch for him. He's got that confidence level up. And I agree. I mean, I have him as at least a top 15, top 10 cornerback um, coming into this season based on potential alone. And, and just the way that he's played this year with the confidence outside, um, you know, that that he's he's a special player right now uh for Miami and he's leading that defense from that secondary position and that's just been infectious for them right now with that whole secondary taking their game up another level more than what their really talent is around him Yes, and I think another key member of that secondary is the rookie Mika Fitzpatrick and the leadership he brings to the table Oh, exactly. He's he's been a great fit. At the time, I was you know kind of co- trying to figure out the pick of Fitzpatrick because they had given T.J. McDonald all that money at safety, and they still have the great Rashad Jones, who's getting up to age thirty, but. You know, when he's healthy, he's still one of the best safeties in the NFL where nobody knows his name, but he's still (laughs) an impact player every week. And and I think Minka Fitzpatrick is showing that that burst of energy, you know, teams with the passing offenses are playing multiple cornerbacks, multiple safety sets now, those big nickels with three safeties. And he's been a perfect fit there in Miami, Um, you know, just keying that defense. And you're seeing players like Bobby McCain stepping up and playing better uh, opposite Howard as well. And it, it, like I said, it's just infectious with that defense right now. And, And nothing builds confidence like winning. And one way or another, as you alluded to, they somehow keep winning each week here. Indeed, they do. And in order for the Patriots to beat this Dolphins defense, they're going to need a skill position player not named Rob Gronkowski to step up. And as you saw last week, the Lions were constantly double-teaming Gronk and none of the other skill position players could capitalize on those opportunities. So which Patriots skill position player not named Rob Gronkowski do the Patriots need to step up the most in this game and why? Well, I think for Josh Gordon, he just has to show up on the field and run some routes out there and he's going to make an impact on that defense just because his size his speed his ability is going to draw extra coverage his way everybody in the nfl knows how talented he is and what he can do when that football's in the air so um I've kind of given up on Corderell Patterson. I I thought this was his last chance to resurrect his career as a wide receiver, and he still hasn't shown any gains in being able to be. I mean, there were at least two plays where Tom Brady was visibly frustrated last week where he threw the ball and Patterson was nowhere near where Brady thought he was going to be. And if you want to kill your career in New England as a wide receiver, that's the way to do it. So you still got one week until Julian Edelman's back. Chris Hogan is not a number one wide receiver. 
Phil Dorsett's done okay. It's the slot receiver filling in for Edelman. But I think Josh Gordon, just to draw one of those defenders away from Gronkowski, would be a huge boost to that defense. Because double teamed, there were a handful of plays where there were at least three, if not four lines around Gronkowski in coverage. They were not taking any chances of letting Rob Gronkowski beat them last week for Detroit. Absolutely. And if the Patriots uh, want to use Josh Gordon just as a decoy this week, just do it because him being as used just in that fashion, uh, as you said, can uh, free up Gronk. Definitely. And free up Gronk, free up the middle of the field, one less defender for Philip Dorsett. And, you know, for the Patriots as well, having an outside receiver like Gordon, having Julian Edelman puts everybody back in their role. So when Edelman's back, if Gordon's able to be that outside receiver, outside the numbers for Brady, now you start seeing Dorsett and Hogan in their natural roles as the number three and number four receiver. Those guys aren't beating number one receiver cornerbacks we saw it with Jacksonville we saw it last week you know Chris Hogan against Darius Slay is a mismatch but Chris Hogan against the safety or your third cornerback on the depth chart then that's when he makes plays and so for the Patriots it's not just having that player to draw the attention away from Gronkowski it's getting everybody in their right role and when they're in that correct role on offense that's when they're able to make their more contributions to the offense indeed and when you look at this Patriots defense uh, there were some major weaknesses exposed in it uh, last week by Matt Patricia and Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions and which of those weaknesses in that Patriots defense should the Dolphins be able to exploit and do you think Matt Patricia presented an ideal blueprint of attacking the Patriots defense yeah I think Matt Patricia had that uh, (laughs) had that game plan drawn up in March from the looks of it he was ready to go um The most concerning thing for me is watching the Patriots linebackers. Uh, Jawan Bentley just went on injured reserve this week. He's been their most athletic, best pass coverage, biggest thumper, fastest player in the linebacking group. The rest of them, especially Dante Hightower, who, you know, has been that leader, that thumper, that underrated zone defense uh, in the middle of the field, taking plays away and, and taking out tight ends from the offense. He's been so slow. He, he's running around with a piano on his back. And, and, if, and if, I'm, if I'm looking at this Patriots defense, I'm looking at getting the balls to my tight ends and my running backs coming out of the backfield because the Patriots haven't shown the ability to stop anybody in that role. Uh, Corey Grant was running it up on them. Houston, for some reason, didn't use Lamar Miller that that way in the passing game as much as they could have. And Detroit, you know, just destroyed them going that way as well last week. Oh, I completely agree about the linebacker. Second, Mike Loiko, who is a top uh, blogger on Patriots Matters, uh, he tweeted out after the Super Bowl that he wanted the Patriots to uh, abandon their archetype of linebackers because Bill Belichick's linebacker archetype appears to be that uh, old-school uh, two-down thumper. They needed to get more of those three-down players in the Patriots, and I agree. And 
Sadly, they don't have any of them right now, and I think that could come back to bite them at some point uh, in the playoffs. Uh, and I still expect the Patriots to make it to the Super Bowl, by the way, folks. Just wanted to leave it out there. But that linebacker core is a grave concern on that uh, defense that I think is uh, middle of the road. But Belichick, as usual, it'll be a bend but don't break. But those uh, the lack of speed at linebacker is very concerning, especially against uh, guys like uh, Albert Wilson, you could maybe put Jakeem Grant in the slot, former Patriot Danny Amendola, uh, rookie tight end Mike Jasicki, and Kenyon Drake, too. Dolphins has some weapons to take advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, the, the Patriots, are what the, what the Patriots really need to do is if their linebackers aren't quick enough, they need to get their safeties and cornerbacks up closer to the line of scrimmage. And that means Patrick Chung coming back from his concussion this week has to play a key role in stopping the run on first and second down and also covering those backs and tight ends. And I would say both McCourty brothers, I would have them up at the line of scrimmage as well, covering backs and tight ends and helping out in that way as well. Because really, you know, other than a few hiccups, crossing routes, stack groups that, you know, every once in a while, um, the Patriots' best defensive players have been coming from the cornerback position and especially Stephon Gilmore, who has looks like the only player who came to play in the first three games on the New England defense. And they're going to need to have a lot more members of that defense step up right now. And who do you have winning on Sunday in Foxborough? You know, it. I think it's going to be a real close game. Um, Miami, like I said, that winning has been infectious, but we really haven't seen the Patriots' backs up against the wall like this in a long time. Um, you know, you think of 2014, they were 2-2, two and two, um, you know, after that Kansas City loss, the on-to Cincinnati uh, Bill Belichick moment there. So, I think the offense is going to have to improve just having Josh Gordon be out there. And the, the Miami defense, without William Hayes and Andre Branch, that might just, you know, that lack of depth uh, with those pass rushers, that can cause that defense to slow down a little bit in the second half as well. And so I have the Patriots coming from behind 27-24. Good minds think alike. That's exactly my prediction as well. The Patriots, they eke out a close one, 27-24. They should get back on track against the Dolphins uh, this week, especially if Josh Gordon uh, comes back even in a decoy role. That should free up a lot of the playmakers on that Patriots offense. And now moving on to the fantasy segment of our program for Set My Lineup. And this week we have my good friend Paul Glader and his non-PPR team. He only has one quarterback and it's Matt Ryan, but you should start Matt Ryan because he is single-handedly carrying that team on his shoulders right now, and he's probably going to have to do it even more since they're now down three of their key defensive stalwarts in Keanu Neal, Deion Jones, and now Ricardo Allen. So uh, ride Matt Ryan. Uh, running back, he's got Tevin Coleman, Lamar Miller, Alex Collins, LaShawn McCoy, and Royce Freeman. I think you lock in Tevin Coleman in one of those uh, two running back slots, uh, do you? Because uh, I think uh, they're going to be throwing the ball and handing it off to him quite a bit, especially if they want to keep that defense off the field. Uh, They're going to have to get that running game going with Tevin Coleman, and he's in a contract here, and he's playing like it. Yeah, definitely. I thought one of the things that Atlanta didn't do enough of – so far this season is include Coleman in their game planning as well. He should have a lot more touches, um, especially with Freeman banged up as well. So Coleman is a definite must play. 
And which of those other four running backs would you include in the second running back spot? You got Lamar Miller against a Colts defense that is actually playing very, very good football right now. Alex Collins in Baltimore, although uh, that could be a shootout in Pittsburgh, plus uh, the way they're um, including uh, Buck Allen in that game plan as well is a little confusing. Uh, Royce Freeman, uh, if Philip Lindsay does get suspended for that uh, punch, uh, he might be w- worth considering. But I think LaShawn McCoy, if he comes back this week, I think you got to start him because the Buffalo Bills, he's still the best playmaker on that on that offense. And uh, to protect Josh Allen, they're going to be uh, giving the ball to him a lot. So I would put LaShawn McCoy in that second running back spot. What do you think? I think you convinced me, David. <laughs> you know, uh, McCoy really hasn't done a lot. He's been really banged up. But, you know, Green Bay, Buffalo is going to need to run the ball early. Um, I think that they will be able to run the ball against Green Bay as well. So I'm with you on that one. I'm I'm leaning towards McCoy as well. Yes, and at wide receiver, oh, this is not fair for a fantasy team. He has Antonio Brown and Tyree Kill. Those are no-brainers. Lock them into your uh, two wide receiver spots. And he only has one tight end in Austin Hooper. Uh, But now let's talk about his flex. We still have uh, Lamar Miller, Alex Collins, and Royce Freeman. But you also have Josh Gordon, Kenny Stills, and Sterling Shepard. This is a very, very tough choice. Uh, I still... uh, I do not like that matchup with the Texans going against the Colts because that Colts defense, like I said, is playing some great football with that front with Marcus Hunt and a potential defensive rookie of the year, Darius Leonard. That's a difficult matchup for Lamar Miller to uh, to run against. And Alex Collins and Royce Freeman, their volume is uncertain. Uh, Josh Gordon, I think it's still wait and see with them. So I think we're down to Stills or Sterling Shepard. Who would you prefer out of those two? Well, you know, it's funny. I was actually doing some research earlier this week on Kenny Stills because he's been a big play machine for the Dolphins. And I went back and checked out what Stills has been doing in his career against the Patriots um, because he certainly talks a big game every week heading into New England. Um, But in six games with Miami over the last three years, he's averaging only – Two and a half receptions per game for 34 yards, and he's only and he's had two touchdowns in six games. So I'm not ready to buy into Kenny Stills right now, um, based on his past history with New England. If Bill Belichick is usually good at taking away one weapon from each team, I think it might be Stills based on history this week. And with Shepard going up against that porous defense, especially in the secondary for New Orleans, I think you have to lean towards Shepard. And apparently Paul is leaning towards Shepard too. So we'll lock in Sterling Shepard at flex. So Paul, your lineup is Matt Ryan, Tevin Coleman, LaShawn McCoy, Antonio Brown, Tyree Kill, Austin Hooper, and Sterling Shepard at the flex. And now moving on to our rapid-fire predictions in which we predict the remaining games of Week 4, starting with the Bills and Packers at Lambeau Field. What do you think? Well, I think this is going to be my upset special. Um, Maybe it's a super upset special. And uh, I'm picking the Bills 25 to 24, and I'm going to circle back to that later for my bold prediction. Oh, very interesting, Cal. I do think this game is going to be close, but I think the Packers eke out a very important win by a 24-21 score. Uh, The Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that explosive passing game against Khalil Mack and the Chicago Bears defense. 
Yeah, I, I just can't trust that Bears offense. They're 28th in passing yards. They've scored only four times in 10 trips to the end into the red zone. I mean, that's just terrible. I think Tampa Bay is going to eke it out. Um, Fitz magic. I don't see him putting up the big numbers, but Tampa Bay 20, Chicago 16. I have a similar looking game, but I have it Tampa Bay 20, Bears 10. And the Detroit Lions coming off that impressive victory against the Patriots, traveling to Jerry World to take on the Cowboys at that atrocious, atrocious offense. Oh, I mean, Dallas just can't do anything on offense right now. I think this is a, a great confidence booster for Matt Patricia coming off of a big win. I think they get win number two this week, Detroit 13, Dallas 10. I have them them running away with this game by a score of 24 to 13. And this could be another barn burger with the Atlanta Falcons hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. And this Falcons defense, it's just a mess, man. Without Keanu Neal, without Deion Jones, and now without Ricardo Allen, the middle of the field is going to be wide open for the Bengals to attack, whether it be with Tyler Eifert, Gio Bernard, or Joe Mixon out of the backfield, Tyler Boyd in the slot. Even if A.J. Green doesn't play, the I think the Bengals uh, run up a big one in this game. And I think they come out uh, on top in a, a very close, a uh, high-scoring affair, 31-28. Yeah, I've got it about that that same thing. There's just too, too many injuries, and especially right down the heart of the defense. And that's what kills the defense is when you get it right down the middle like that. Uh, the Bengals, all they have to do is limit their turnovers. When they were turning the ball over, they run into trouble. I think they limit it this week. Cincinnati 27, Atlanta 24. And we have the Jaguars playing close to the New York Jets. And the Jets were another team that the Jaguars lost to last year. And for some reason, I just can't trust the Jaguars going up against inferior opponents. They always played out of their competition. They got beaten by Blaine Gabbard in Arizona last year. They got beaten by uh, armless Marcus Mariota last week. I just don't know which Jaguars team is going to show up. And for that reason, since I just don't quite trust them in situations like this yet, I'm going to have to go with the Jets as my upset special, winning a ugly, low-scoring game, 13-9. Well, I have it as ugly and low-scoring as well. I think, you know, all that champagne that Jacksonville uh, drank after winning their Super Bowl in September against the Patriots in Week 2 is is finally out of their system, and they, they get an ugly one, 13-6 over the Jets is the way I have it. Yep, uh, that should be a very ugly game nonetheless. And the Indianapolis Colts, who have been playing some very solid football to start the year, play host to the 0-3 reeling Houston Texans. Uh, do you think Deshaun Watson has been exposed? You know, I, I, I was thinking of that. You know, I watched him last week and I said, you know, some plays he seems to still have it. And, and I'm really wondering, you know, maybe he's not all the way back. Maybe he just doesn't have that confidence to plant and throw the ball, to get outside and run like he was. And if he's at only 70%, 75%, 
that might be the problem. I I still hold out hope because he was just so dynamic last year. And, you know, I think Adrian Peterson ruined it for everybody's rehab from these knee injuries and when he first came back so soon. And maybe for some players, it's just going to take a little bit longer and he's got a little more rust to work off. I think Deshaun Watson, it's not going to be this week. But maybe by the second half of the season, we'll start seeing the real Deshaun Watson that we saw last year starting to emerge in Houston. Yeah, that's the hope. But I think another factor holding it back is that downright atrocious Texans offensive line. Oh, for sure. And, you know, and and for Houston as well, on the other side of the ball, um, has anybody seen Jadavian Clowney? Is he still in the league? Is, is he making plays? Where, where did he go? Where is he? Yes, and he wants more money than Khalil Mack. And I don't think you're getting it. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a, a must-win game for Houston. I think for Indianapolis, you know, if, if they're going to stay in contention and try to keep up with Jacksonville, uh, this is a game they have to take as well. And, you know, it's another one of those must-win situations in week four. But uh, I think Indianapolis is going to pull it out. I have them 24-20 to with a home win over Houston. I have the Colts winning this game as well. I just like that talented, underrated, young defensive front. Or, well, not really young because Marcus Hunt's a late bloomer. He's been in the league for like uh, six years already, but uh, he's turning out to be a stud in that uh, new defense. And I believe that Colts front overwhelms the Texans offensive line and they take uh, a close one, 23-20. Carson Wentz uh, didn't look too shabby. He he did look rusty in in many respects, but he appears to be almost all the way back in terms of his uh, form, as we saw last week. And he and his Eagles traveled to Music City to face the Tennessee Titans, the uh, grit and grind Tennessee Titans, I like to call it, because they've been um, grinding out ugly uh, games with defense and running the football. I think this is going to be another relatively low-scoring game, but I still think the Eagles pull it out by a score, let's say, 21-16. to Mm, very. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason for Tennessee to win this game, really. When you look at it, you know, um, they've been getting by with running the ball. Nobody's run the ball on Philadelphia this year. You, it's just not going to happen against that front. Nobody's done it. You're better off to try to dial up that passing attack. Look at what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl against this group. Get it out of there quickly. Short passes. That's going to play into a quarterback with an elbow injury, having to go out there and grit it out. So, you know, take a couple of shots, lob it up as high as you can to Corey Davis. But I think they'll be able to move the ball through the passing game if Matt LaFleur dials that up for Tennessee. Um, You know, I think Carson Wentz, again, like we talked about, um, you know, there's a lot of rust on there still. And I can see this as an upset special with Tennessee at home grinding out an ugly win 18-16 to over the Eagles. That wouldn't surprise me given how amazing Mike Vrabel has done as the head coach of the Titans so far. He definitely has that uh, mentality and they seem to be buying into it. I expect this to be a very competitive game, but at the end of the day, um, I just don't trust Marcus Mariota's arm to keep up with uh, Carson Wentz, even a limited Carson Wentz, and potentially gets Alshaw Jeffrey back as well. So uh, that uh, could be enough to tilt the scales uh, slightly towards the Eagles in what should be a close game in Music City. Uh, Josh Rosen makes his NFL debut 
against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. It's kind of like a battle of two horrible teams in the afternoon. Uh, But I still don't trust Mike McCoy, even though uh, they've upgraded a quarterback with Josh Rosen. I still have to give the Seahawks the upper hand, especially with how they looked uh, last week against the Cowboys. Uh, you know, I, I'm going the other way. I'm going to say like with Baker Mayfield, you know, sometimes that the spark from that young quarterback can, can overcome horrible coaching. I, I think Arizona is going to have just enough, um, David Johnson do just enough against Seattle, um, and maybe a couple of big plays in the passing game by Josh Rosen. Um, Seattle, are they going to score enough without Doug Baldwin there? I don't think so. I've got Arizona at home winning 17-13 to 13 over Seattle. You could very well be right there. This is a tough game to predict, but uh, recency bias makes me favor the Seahawks, but you could be right with Josh Rosen, so uh, this is one of the hardest games to predict. I'm still going with Seattle because I still think they have more talent than the Cardinals, but uh, these two teams are very, very close. You can't dispute that. And speaking of Baker Mayfield, he takes the Browns to the Bay to take on the Raiders. And I think the Baker magic continues. He leads the Browns to a 24 to 21 victory. How? I'll explain in my bold predictions. All right. Yeah, I've got Cleveland winning as well. I think John Gruden just forgot how to win games being out of the league for 10 years. I mean, Oakland's had Let's face it, the Rams wasn't a winnable game in week one, but they were in it in the first half. Uh, And the last two games, they've got no excuse for falling apart the way that they have these last two weeks. So I don't see this as a game that they're going to come in and win either. I think Baker Mayfield is the real deal. He's sparked the Browns offense. He sparked the entire city of Cleveland. Um I've got Cleveland 23, Oakland 18, and I'll even say Oakland's ahead at the half and blows another one for the fourth week in a row. Ah, and we have the other Bay team, the 49ers and C.J. Beathard traveling to StubHub Stadium to take on the Chargers. You got to go Chargers here. It's easy. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the offense is just too overwhelming. I mean, the defense has has really missed Joey Bosa. But you know what? They also had to go up against the Rams and the Chiefs in two of their first three games as well. And I don't care who's playing defense against those teams. Nobody's stopping them right now. So I think the Chargers are going to work out a lot of frustration against the 49ers on both sides of the ball. And it should be a blowout. Chargers 31 to 13. I have it more like 27 to 10, but in the same neighborhood. And what should be another shootout, the New York Giants, fresh off a must-win against the Texans. Uh, They play host to Drew Brees and the high-flying New Orleans Saints offense. I don't think you're going to have that much defense in this game, but uh, when it comes to Brees against Eli, you would trust Brees to win a shootout more than Eli. So I think I'm going to take the Saints in this game by say 33 to 27. Yeah, I'm almost almost the exact same score. I'm at 31-23 for the Saints. I just think, you know, they may get a little spark on defense going up against that offensive line of the Giants. They may have won last week, but they still didn't look very very good back, uh in front of Eli Manning and uh Maybe it's a little boost of confidence for the Saints there to get a couple stops early in the game. So, but like you said, you know, if you're coming down to Eli Manning or Drew Brees, I'm picking Brees every time. Yeah, Brees might be 39 and Eli might be 37, but Brees looks like he has far more 
football left in him than Eli Manning does. Age is just a number, folks. The Sunday night festivities uh, shift to Heinz Field, where the Steelers play host to the Ravens. And I think we're going to have another exciting divisional match between these two teams on Sunday night. The Steelers got a must-win at Tampa. Ravens got back on track against the Broncos. I think this is going to be a similar game to what we saw last year on Sunday Night Football, where it went down to the final seconds and the Steelers pulled off an epic shootout, like, what's it, like 38-37 to of some kind? I think we see a very similar game, uh, because Joe Flacco's playing very good football. He should be able to take advantage of that soft Steelers secondary that is probably down its best player in Mike Hilton this week, and... Uh, the Steelers and those weapons, they should uh, still uh, be able to take advantage of a talented uh, Ravens defense, but that is still struggling a corner. You're not going to have Jimmy Smith in this game. Marlon Humphrey's still going through growing pains. Brandon Carr is uh, just a guy at this point in his career. I think it's a shootout, but the Steelers pull it off in the end, 35-31. Yeah, that was a great game last year. I remember that. That was the game that uh, Antonio Brown went over 200 yards receiving, actually, and um I, I think it's going to be a shootout here as well. Um, you know, the drafting of Lamar Jackson has really lit a fire under Joe Flacco, but what's really helped him, I think, more than anything has been the addition of Michael Crabtree stepping into that Steve Smith, that Anquan Bolden role on the offense of that short passing security blanket that that Flacco just needs to have to be effective. If they can figure out a way to start running the ball in Baltimore, they could be real contenders for uh, moving into the playoffs and going somewhere. So um, I think it's going to be a shootout. I've got Baltimore winning at 34 to 33, but I flipped a coin. I'll, I'll admit it on that one. It, this one could go either way. It most definitely could, as do all Raven Steelers games. And on Monday Night Football, the only good thing about this game is that we get to see the Pat Mahomes show on national television for the first time. That's the only thing I'm looking forward to in this game. Uh, I honestly hope and pray to God, the Broncos fan in me does, that the Broncos don't win another game the rest of the year. I want a full-scale overhaul of this roster and coaching staff I, uh, and a culture change uh, to be more implemented by a new coach. Uh, that, that, that's all I can say. I'm mumbling right now. I have so many demands of the Broncos to um, uh, embrace the tank, as they say. This is my lock of the week. Chiefs, 42. Broncos, 17. <sighs> Man, I, I just can't pick against the Broncos at home to be blown out. I think it'll be a lot closer um, game. I think Denver's going to put up a fight. You know, having Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and, and Shane Ray, if they can disrupt Pat Mahomes, get in his face, um, put a little pressure on him, uh, it, you might see a little step back this week um, if they can get in his face and, and make some plays. But even if they do... I don't see Case Keenum keeping up on the offense. I think uh, Denver made a, a huge strategic mistake not getting rid of Demarius Thomas in the offseason. He's only catching 60% of the passes thrown his way. He's averaging nine yards per reception. I, he just doesn't seem to have it. It's this Portland year. Sutton time in Denver. Got to get him all the reps he can. Just like we talked about in the preseason, exactly, Dave. And so I still have Kansas City winning, but Denver with a little pride at home. 27-24, Kansas City over the Broncos. Very, very interesting there, Hal. And now on to our bold predictions for Week 4, and starting with me. You kind of actually alluded to it, Hal, but I think it's going to be even worse. The Raiders will be beating the Browns at halftime, 21 to nothing. 
and they will blow it in the second half, and the Browns win 24-21. The Raiders are like the first-half team, and they go to bed in the second half. They dominated that first half against the Rams in Week 1, even though that game wasn't winnable, as you said. But they dominated the first half against the Broncos in Week 2 and at the Dolphins in Week 3. And they collapsed again in the fourth quarter. Like, they, they're being outscored 37-0 in the fourth quarter. And I think it only gets even worse this week as they blow a 21-0 league at halftime. Oh, I like that one. I, I think we're thinking the same thing there in Oakland. So, for me, like I alluded to earlier, Buffalo, Josh Allen, Lambeau Field, the Bills Express rides again and wins in Green Bay, defeating the mighty Aaron Rodgers. My bold prediction, Josh Allen passes for 300 yards and rushes for almost 100 yards, using his legs even more than he did against Minnesota last week. I see the Buffalo defense. They're playing with confidence after this Minnesota game. Jerry Hughes alone has three sacks, and the defense goes out and forces three more turnovers on the road. That's my bold prediction this week. Whoa, 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 Hal. But nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, as they say, so you might be onto something there. And last but not least, our challenge flags. My challenge flag simply goes to the Minnesota Vikings. All right, Minnesota Vikings, you suffered one of the most embarrassing losses in the history of your franchise, dare I say, by... Um, being a victim to the third largest upset in NFL history. And all I'm asking for you this week is win or lose, put aside the Everson Griffin distraction, and use it as motivation to band together and fight for Everson Griffin as he deals with his inner demons. Play like the Super Bowl favorites I thought you were. Fight hard for 60 minutes from the first snap to the last snap and keep it a game until the final second. If you just do that, win or lose, you're going to be in great shape the rest of the season. So Vikings, play like the Super Bowl favorites I thought you were. My challenge flag, you know, you don't see them very often in New England, but Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, after all of this offseason, you know, Off-season distraction seems to be a normal thing. It seemed to be pumped up to a different level this year in New England. This is a gut check one more time for that legacy. Can number 12 turn it around again? Is there one more on the Cincinnati game left for this dynasty? Is Josh McDaniels going to dial up an offense to beat Miami uh, and that who's played them so well over the past couple of years? Is the defense going to bounce back without having Matt Patricia there to right the ship like he has these past few years. Are they ever going to make a stop on a third down? Last week, I, I'm i hoping it was just we discounted the Matt Patricia effect of having practice against that offense and knowing every player inside out on that defense. But it looked a little bit like the fall of Rome. So for the challenge flag, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Make sure this dynasty doesn't end on Sunday afternoon and fall three games behind the Miami Dolphins in the standings. Thank you very much, Hal. He is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You could follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. You could catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com, BostonSportPage.com, and if you're a Patriots fan, MusketFire.com. Hal, it's always a pleasure, my man, and looking forward to doing this again with you next week. Looking forward to it, David, and for a, a great series of games this week and a wonderful Thursday night game. I can't wait for tonight's game. I am 
ready, 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 right now. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on indeed, Hal. I'm ready too. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch, but we'll be back next week for week five, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is Dave David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.